Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to a Raptors Republic podcast. It is... We're calling it the wrap-up live summer edition um, because not all of the wrap-up people are here. And this isn't really a wrap-up. It's just an excuse because me and Aiden wanted to talk basketball. And so this is our, we have the banner, we got the theme, so we're going with the wrap-up. But yeah, I'm Oren, joined by Aiden. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about you know, everybody's talking about the playoffs. Everybody's talking about the Raptors. It's, it's too passe. We've heard it all before. Aiden wanted to talk about the the dire state of the NBA in in his mind. Um, no, we want to talk a little bit about where the NBA as a whole is at right now, where we think it's going, how we think the league is doing, how we think it's growing, and and some of the rule changes as well that they're trying to put into place for next season and what we think about those and just kind of talk about the league as a whole, because I think we both find it interesting and some, uh, some of the projection stuff and, and what have you. So I'm going to hand the floor over to Aiden to give us his, his piece and, and his background in strategic foresight and, and talk about where he thinks the NBA is going. And then I will probably disagree and I will rebut and we'll <laughs> go from there. Yeah, to preface, this isn't a fully uh, rounded out thesis yet, but I, it's a work in progress. Um, and and, the and to preface, means, I have no idea what he's going to say. Yeah, that that too. I mean, the context is that like I do a lot of work in quote unquote future studies, so like not predicting the future necessarily, but looking at kind of indicators of change, things that suggest that, that something might be happening that could cause the future to occur. So with the NBA, like it's something I've really been thinking a lot about and, and, and it stems from the conversations we are constantly having, at least on Twitter and like with punditry about the quality of the game, right? Is there too much offense? Is there not enough defense? Are charges bad for the game? All of these kinds of things. And I have opinions on all of them, but from a, from a bird's eye view, I think the NBA is headed for a little bit of a crisis and almost kind of like a, like a bubble of sorts. And the reasoning is this, and bear with me, but basically, you know, you have the game divided into three parts or the NBA. You have gameplay, like the actual players playing the game. You have consumption. So how how the NBA is is consumed, whether that's by like watching it, reading about it, listening to these podcasts and then you have Social the profit. media. What's that? Social media. Right, exactly. And then you have the profits, the how the money is made and keeps the organization running, blah, blah, blah. So my my issue is that I think there's a dissonance between the gameplay, the consumption, 
and the profits, right? So the majority of the profits made in the NBA is through TV deal, right? And yeah. and like I would say like ad revenue and then some kind of merchandising and then tickets in the stadium. The majority of the consumption used to be or still might be, but I think is declining on cable TV, right? But what is and and I would attribute most of that to generation like if you divide it by demographics and generations the boomers for sure the millennials to some degree but then as you go to the next generation and even the millennials the consumption is changing it's not watching it on cable tv i i don't have cable i know a lot of my friends don't we're either pirating the uh stream or i think a lot of people are just watching the nba through highlights and highlight packages right and like you hear about this um with children like like watching on snapchat or instagram whatever so not tuning into the games and there's a lot of reasons why they're not tuning into the games that we can get into that i think the quality of the entertainment is going down um i think the game is too slow and too long and it's also in stadium is now inaccessible right so the inaccessibility of cable because we don't purchase cable but also you can't afford to go to the games and when you do you're not necessarily seeing the best product on the floor so what I what I want to know is at what point will the TV and streaming deals that they're paying billions of dollars for the next one is going to apparently be three or four times what the last one was. When will that disconnect occur where the majority of people are consuming the game, not through streaming or cable, but through these highlight packages or third or second party experiences to the point that ad or like these um these cable companies or the streaming companies or the ad, the companies using the uh, advertisement streams are questioning the value that they're paying for, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, a lot of interesting points there. I just pulled this up to your point um, that I felt I feel like this season was like amazing, just objectively from a parody standpoint and everything. And yet viewership was down in America from last season which was like a covid ravaged season so i just wrote a story about something around this and basically like learned that all sports tv ratings are going down as you kind of explained that's just the that's just it's not so much that sports are slow or anything it's just that people have different ways of consuming media and you know, the new generations are have a shorter attention span and they watch highlights, they watch TikTok. So sports as a whole are going down. But out of all the sports, basketball is like doing way better than the other ones. Like the NBA is not falling off the cliff that baseball and hockey are, for example, in terms of like the NBA and the NFL are doing relatively well. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like, you're right. It's interesting to me that everyone just assumes that all these TV deals are going to explode. And yet at the same time, we all know that TV ratings as a whole are going down. Right. What I think and what I think the TV companies and the advertising companies say is that like there are so many other ways to leverage the popularity of the league besides getting people to tune into TV. And that's why I think the NBA is doing so well, because like, you have so many stars who are really marketable and really good characters and all that stuff. And there's just so many ways to leverage their popularity other than people watching full games on cable. 
And, and I, but I think that's the problem, right? Is that could we reach a, and, and the NBA did basically a deal with the devil, right? Which was, which was genius at the time, which was let's market the league, not solely on the entertainment on the floor, but through the personas of the players like Michael Jordan did and, and, and beyond, but then also through the, the melodrama of the off season, the speculation of transactions, like the relationships between players and, and like all of it, right. All of this, they, you know, they call the NBA now almost like a 24 seven reality show in a lot of ways. There's always something popping and you can be entertained without even watching the game. Right. You know, like I have a lot of friends who kind of know what are going on, but don't, don't watch any of the games. And, and I feel like the melodrama is unpredictable. You can't, manufacture that right it happens it doesn't happen and and i think that's like that could be an un and it's an unprofitable source right like the idea is that the melodrama draws people to like that their idea essentially was let's market the players let's market the non on-court entertainment and that will bring viewership to the on-court entertainment at least that's the way i understand it and i don't think that's actually true what i think is happening is you're getting a lot of people that realize they can enjoy the game through a combination of Twitter highlight packages, um, Woj bombs, and then tune into like the odd important game or the odd matchup. But for the majority of the 82 game season, no one cares. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that it draws people to the games the way they would like it to, but I still think that, there is ways like it's not as clear of a direct profit of as getting people to just watch cable. But I just think there is always going to be ways if people are paying attention to the NBA, whether it's on social media, whether it's through highlights, like there, there's just always going to be ways to make money. If your league is popular with young people, like NBA Top Shop, like think about that example. Like there is just all the league. Is that even doing well? But the but the point is like the league might get to a point where it's like okay, we need other revenue streams beside the TV deals. Yes, and if they do, I just feel like they could find them with rev with NBA Top Shop just being a random example of like how to leverage the popularity of the league with people who don't actually watch the games. And that's just one example that didn't even work out very well. But like. I feel like they could get creative enough to to have a whole host of examples. I would just be curious to know what the like how the the demographics divide out on like viewership and consumption because you know and now going into a little bit of the weeds like one of the problems is ticket prices right in in a lot of places not all. Mm-hmm. Um and in combination with that, the fact that players aren't playing and what I call not load management, but skill management, which is like we saw this year for the first time, not maybe not the first time, Jokic and Butler kind of like putter around for a month or two. Right. And then ramp it up come playoff time, which is like this kind of similar phenomenon to load management. But it's essentially sending a message to the NBA and fans the, the the season's not that important. Like we yeah. can get away with playing three quarters of a season and still get to the playoffs, be an eight seed or one seed for or or 
a nine seed in Miami's case um, and, and a seven seed, I guess, the Lakers and and ramp it up and and compete at a high level. So if if the majority of the people consuming the game right now are older people, I just wonder when those people move on and like it's our generation and younger, like mm. what is going to be the attraction to the game itself other than the off-court stuff which i think is really cool like the the dunks the blocks the playmaking like all of that but you can consume that in eight minutes so why the fuck would i go watch a game you know and i think yeah and i i don't know that they're going to be able to leverage the revenue that they need when streaming and tv are like why are we why are we paying for these three-hour games when viewership is way down Yeah, okay, there's a lot to go up. I, I feel like the TV deals, though, aren't just... They're not only buying the game, right? Like, TNT, like, they, they buy, like, the halftime show. They buy the pregame shows, the Stephen A on, on ESPN. And, like, like NBA Camp Down, those shows, I would bet, are more popular than ever because... It goes to it speaks to the whole drama aspect of the league. So that's a way where the drama actually is revenue generator because like people pay more attention to those shows now because I feel like the NBA is always some crazy shit going on and you want to see what Stephen A. Smith has to say about Kyrie Irving believing that the devil is in his backyard. You know, like people just want to see this. So I I I want to get into the part about how we frame the game because i do think we've gone too far into like only talking about the drama and the chris manic i want to bring the chris manic suite before i do though you just made me think about something and and here's my theory it's off topic we're gonna take a quick side route, but I'll, we'll get it. back to it let me think what you think because i also think the load management is a huge problem feels like i mean the eighth seed is about to go to the nba finals it feels like the regular season doesn't matter as i don't much. know about that not to say like miami's regular scene i really think they did try important stuff in the regular season but at the same time whatever the load management stuff huge problem and then i think here's my theory on the lebron james cryptic retirement note he's not retiring obviously I don't think he's taking a year off to play with his son a year from now. What I think LeBron wants to do and might do next season is like, just be like, I'm 40 years old. I'm not playing 82 games. I'm t- uh, the first couple months of the season. I'm fucking off. I'm recovering from a foot surgery. I'm not going to be with the team. Like that's just, this is going off just my random like theory. And I think he's that, that message was a message to the Lakers. To, like, Build up this team so that in the regular season, I don't have to be a guy who plays like 80 games and like gets us to the playoffs, like which happened this year. Like get a a good supporting cast in guys that can that can carry us to the playoffs and I will be ready for the playoffs, but I'm not going to be ready start of the season. And so if that happens, I was just thinking like that would basically be the next level of load management and the next level of like player empowerment that we've never seen before. But doesn't it feel like that's where the league is going? Like you have Kawhi leveraging all his power to play and not play back-to-backs. You've had all this stuff, and it feels to me like the natural next step is guys are just going to be like, I'll play some of the season, but not the whole season. Yeah, 
I'm going to refrain from touching the LeBron stuff unless we really want to go into that because I I have a strong dislike for how LeBron operates. Okay. But I do think you're you're right. I think that's the way the league's going. And if you look at a player's life cycle or or to some degree a team's life cycle, but it's but particularly a player, it's, you know, get into the league. Big accomplishment. Um earn your like stripes right like through fame success whatever that looks like get paid get get that second contract um and then depending on like you know the motivations of some some players getting paid is enough and sustaining that payment is enough some players want to win right and then there's this kind of like core part of your career where you are trying to become the best player you can either to get paid again or to win and what you see with a lot of teams and players is that once they've proven that they can win at the highest level, as far as like the regular season goes, and they know that it's kind of at the bare minimum, they're going to make the playoffs. That's kind of where there's a plateau in, I, I think what we see as far as like effort and like, and yeah, effort and how yeah. hard they play. Right. Um, yeah. And, and like a good example is Utah where we saw every year utah just like like cracking heads every single game and then going into the playoffs as the one seed even the raptors to some degree and then complete and then just sucking right so like the the algorithm for winning a championship is not destroying the regular season it's like you know make sure you're a good team you've got everything in alignment and then bide your time until you're in the playoffs and we saw that this year with the suns the Warriors, yeah. the Lakers, the Heat. Um, I think I think it's a competitive edge, right? Is like if you're well rested going into the playoffs because you didn't go that hard in the regular season, you have a competitive edge on the teams that did go hard. And I think Joel Embiid's a great example of like a guy who I mean, he his injury is random, and you can't really know all of this but he gasped he too. went hard for the mvp three years in a row and he made it very clear that he went hard for especially this year whereas Jokic literally stopped trying for the set for the, like the last month of the season and then you see it Jokic has a little more juice in the playoffs and mb just didn't he ran out of whatever it might have been the injury but he just wasn't good so i definitely think there's something to that competitive edge where which guys are trying to get by not by not playing as much in the regular yeah. season and the NBA just allows it. Like they don't have well, nearly strict enough rules to deter it. And that's the like, problem. Oh, tw- you're going to like find me $10,000. That's a penny. Well, and you can see the NBA's conflict of interest, right? Cause on the one hand, they, they need to change the rules. So teams and players aren't incentivized to avoid playing the game. Right. And, and I don't blame any player who takes off 25% of a season. Like, yeah. Their health is their money maker. Why? Why would they chance it for a couple of games in March in Charlotte? Right? Like, who cares? Yeah. Um, so the, it's the league's responsibility to incentivize playing at your maximum all of the time. At the same time, the NBA is a profiteering corporation that is responsible to shareholders, and they're not interested in decreasing short-term revenue gain for long-term success of the value, which is a part of my larger thesis that, you know, they're kind of, um, what, I, what, I don't know what the phrase would be like spiting the nose or spiting the f- face for the nose, whatever it is. I don't know. 
but they're basically in the face so they yeah spite in the nose or the face i don't know anyway it's short-term thinking my mouth if they had a third party like rule regulator that could like figure out how to optimize the the entertainment value of the game there would be a what uh like a a sea change of changes of rule changes but they don't because they're conflicted by they want to make money sure but i mean that would never work and that just reminded me though to the nba's credit so i just wrote this big story about hockey and how the nhl refuses to send their players to the olympics right yeah. Because they are so focused on short-term gains. And they're like, February, that's our biggest month. All the eyeballs are on us. Other sports are done. We're not going to take a break to go to the Olympics. That's been their stance for the last eight years. And the, the NHL is really struggling. But like when I did research for the piece, I was like, okay, do all leagues have these short-term ideas that hurt their long-term growth? And like you look at the NBA and I actually think in terms of their global approach, they were very forward focused. For and they sure. were like, even the dream team, they were just like so willing to like, imagine if Michael Jordan got hurt for Team USA, right? Like that would have screwed the NBA, but they took that risk to grow the game globally. Same with opening offices in Africa and China in like their early 2000s. They took those risks and they paid off massively, you know, 20 years later. So I do give credit to the NBA where it's due just because they've been more willing than other leagues to sacrifice some short-term risks or profits for long-term gains. And that's part of this too, if we're talking about why the NBA is, you know, in a good position in my opinion is because it's like such a global game. We're talking about TV ratings in America. Yeah. I would venture to bet that in Africa in China, like like more and more people are watching NBA games than ever before. That's true. So I think that's a big deal, but I wanted to get back to this unless you have like something on the topic, but well, well, I just wanted to say quickly on, on that part. Like um, I think soccer is a good example of them, like having this kind of like global perspective as well. I also think that expansionism is like par for the course with like a, a corporation too, right? It's just like bigger, 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 wider, wider, wider. And like gross revenue will overcome whatever fallibilities you have in your product. And and I think at some point that could like come home to roost. That's kind of my argument. But I do agree that expanding into the Chinese and African markets ha- has been a brilliant play that the others like that the other four, three sports would like would die to do, and and they did not pro, and they didn't set themselves up to do it, which is again to the credit of the NBA, like you know promoting the individual over the team, for example. Mm-hmm. For but sure. that also has consequences too. With you know now we're we're in a uh, an era where we're player fans more than we are team fans. But anyway, sorry I cut you off. Yeah, no, I was just gonna go back to the point about like we're talking about okay, the NBA has a problem where it's popular on social media and we talk about the drama of it, but people don't watch the games as much. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the media and, and how we promote the game and how we write. So, like, obviously this Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated tweet, not to pile on the guy because, wow, he's been <laughs> he, he piled got on. Capital million- R roasted. 10 million views on this one tweet, which has, you know, this many quote tweets or whatever. 
Because he basically just said, like, the reason that nobody's talking about the Denver Nuggets, which Michael Malone has been, like, on the media about, like, he's on a crusade to get people to talk about his team. Um, And Mannix just said the reason is, like, they are boring, he said. They're not a compelling team to write about. And then he said, the Lakers, they have so much drama. The Warriors, they have so much dysfunction. And And the Nuggets don't have that. And I listened to that, and I was just like, isn't that exactly the opposite of what we like? Why, why is dysfunction rewarded? Why is drama rewarded? Because that's what he's saying. He's like, we, it's fun. It's enjoy. It's the media's job to talk about the dysfunctional and the dramatic teams. And it's like, so you're telling me those teams are being rewarded by being dysfunctional in the sense that they have all the eyeballs on them and they're getting all the marketing from the league because or the media related to the league because Draymond punched Jordan Poole in the face. Like, that's a good thing. That's what it bothered me about his thing. It's like, no, we should be celebrating the Denver Nuggets of the world who, who treat basketball as like a profession. They're professional about it. And they're, they treat like the on court product is their be all end all. They just don't have off court shit that they deal, that they leak to the media. Like, Everything about the Nuggets is about what they're doing on the court. And, like, that is the stuff we should be talking about. But to be frank, like, it's harder to talk about that. That's part of it. It's harder to talk X's and O's than it is to talk about, like, Jordan Poole getting punched in the face. So I think that's that's part of it. But I, I do think this is a big problem where I'm not worried like you are. But I will say that the direction it's going where the media is so concerned about the drama and not concerned about promoting the actual basketball, that worries me. Yeah, and like I was saying, you know, I'm looking for weak signals. I'm looking for little things to suggest if there's enough of these little things, there's a grower, a growing bigger trend coming. Um, and this is one of them is that like mainstream NBA media is very bad it's empty calories it's like it's just so unrelatable in so many ways other than the fact that they talk about things in a passionate exciting way about you know the dramatics of the nba um and so that is to me one signal of of why the the quality or the entertainment value of the game is is going in a certain direction i do want to say about manic so like if you listen to the whole clip I think he's kind of getting at the idea that from the general fan, Denver's boring. Mm. And I don't think like a lot of people were like, dude, that's your job is to make, make people interesting. Everybody has a story. Go find it. I think he knows that like he's a professional journalist. I think he knows that. I think what he's saying is that if you're trying to appeal to the general masses, all they want to hear about is the Warriors and Lakers. And that, and that's not, new like how much are the lakers covered on espn daytime shows right like i don't watch them but i think it's more than most other teams right and well i listen to a lot of podcasts and i always feel the tension between host slash producer who has like a duty in a sense to talk about the lakers and like the everyman nba writer Who's just like, why the fuck are we talking about the Lakers? Right. They're like four and eighteen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which is a microcosm between you know 
us who'd like to talk about the game itself and and the masses quote unquote who are interested in it as like you know a tv show um and so it's interesting and so like i think manix put it terribly and maybe i'm wrong that i'm giving him the benefit of the doubt i mean regardless like you can't say that but but then we had um Lisa Salter say that it's like she didn't realize Jokic was this good. And then we had the Mark Jackson thing. Like there's enough, there's enough little breadcrumbs here to suggest that the media we rely on to, and that's another problem with the NBA is that they are just so antiquated in their media space, right? Like local broadcasts, I venture to say the average age of the broadcasters is 65 some of the um, local broadcasts, I, I just had this thought, like, real quick. I was listening to the CBL season opener, Canadian Elite Basketball League. Yeah. Very underfunded league, fifth season. But they have Chuck Swarski and um, Joe Rasso doing the call on opening night. And it's a phenomenal broadcast. And I was just like, how much better is this broadcast than the third? Like, how many of the 30 NBA local broadcasts is this better than? I would say like 10. Like some of those are garbage. Like just old guys just being like, he got to be more physical down there. (laughs) It's it's an innovation paradox that a lot of companies face, which is that do you rely on your legacy product because that's your moneymaker and that's what your clients want at at the cost of innovating, right? And the NBA Mm -hmm. seems to not be innovating at a speed that's fast enough. Um to, to like catch up with the fact that they are decades behind as far as like the consumer goes, right? Like if they're catering to the boomer generation, they're definitely going in the wrong direction. And you see that most uh, clearly, I think, with the media, right? Like it happens to be that, T- that TNT is very funny, but it's funny because we're listening to our drunk uncles, not funny because they're like relatable to as like colleagues or peers. And and the bad version of that is like ABC's ha- like halftime where Michael Wilbon, Stephen A and Jalen Rose say nothing for 45 yeah. seconds, you know? Um, and so we're really seeing bad. changes with that, with guys like JJ Redick and I don't know, CJ McCollum. And um, well, I was going to of- say like NBA countdown, I would say is progressive, like um, Malika Andrews and, and yeah, Kendrick Perkins and and like Richard Jefferson. Like I do find those guys. I, I mean, I actually like that show, and I think Monica McNutt also. Yeah, great. and I, I think it's pretty different than it was five years ago. Like they've gone yeah. young, they've gone hip. Yeah, it works. It's yeah, it's more representative of like who the NBA is and who their viewership is, but it's still very slow, um, in my opinion, and so. Yeah, going back to the Mannix piece, like, um, that's that's just been par for the course for a long time. Mannix is just saying what's been happening for yeah. the last decade. And and the interesting thing is, and I think Bill Simmons' podcast brought this up, which is that who is the new face of the league and how is that going to look, right? Like, they've been leveraging Curry and LeBron for so yeah. long. And okay. I think... I think Giannis and Jokic are, are more and Embiid are more than ready to carry the torch. But what's been interesting is that I don't think the NBA or the media has marketed them in the way that they like needed to for it to be like a seamless transition. So it's going to be interesting to see when LeBron and Curry retire 
how NBA's mainstream media kind of adapts to this new quote unquote foreign because they're not none of them are American um, like superstar cast of players who are absolutely friggin phenomenal players, but don't necessarily carry that same like persona um, that the latter generation did. Yeah, I'm glad we got here because I kind of forgot, but I knew I wanted to talk about this. And like we've talked about it before, but it's like it's just the Americanization of the NBA. And like they are trying so hard for that next face of the league to be an American. And it's just not there. Like think think about how much we hear about Jason Tatum for the what 12th best guy in the league. Like what is Jason Tatum? He's not he's not an elite elite like. He's not I mean, that first top team, tier guy. First team All NBA, but I don't care. He's not a top five player in the league. I like, agree. I agree. So he's a top like ten. He's a he's around ten. Yeah. And yet we they push him like he's the next best thing. Whereas like Luca is objectively a better player. Giannis better. Jokic better. Embiid, whatever. Embiid you can actually disagree with, but like. We talk about there's no next NBA star to fill for CP and LeBron and and Steph, and it's like no, there are. They're just well, not for them American. to fill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're just not American, and and you're right for this reason. It perplexes me because, like I said, the NBA has gone global, invested in global growth. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a whole nother step to be like no, but like our next face of the league is going to be a non-American guy. I kind of believe the league is ready to go there they don't seem to like i think you can kind of neglect your american audience a bit in favor of like really pushing the game globally by getting behind a Giannis or a Jokic. i don't think Jokic is right just because like he doesn't want that role pretty clearly he wants to like fuck off in the offseason but like Giannis or luca like those are probably the the two big ones um so I actually think the league is ready to go there. The league seems to think that they still need an American superstar to really rally behind. And there's just not one clearly coming through the ranks. Yeah. I, yeah, that one I'm, I'm also confused on too, because you're like, you they sowed the seeds by going global, by recruiting these global players, by basically tapping into a European league that was, elite elite and drawing talent away from that going into an app into africa and other parts of the world and drawing talent and then they nurture them to become superstars and then they're wary to actually use that and leverage that i mean there's massive fan base i I can imagine in in like these other nations just you know if anybody's watching basketball they're watching these one players Um, like all of europe is behind luka Doncic. All of Europe, I really feel like if you go throughout Europe and like ask those countries who the number one most popular player is, like I feel like Luca would be high up in a lot yeah, of or, countries or Joker because he has connections in Eastern Europe and then he also played in Spain, like whatever. Um, but I feel like w- when we hear like guys like Chris Mannix talk about how the Denver Nuggets are not compelling. He's talking about to an American audience. And when we we're in Canada, so I feel like we're kind of in a weird place. Whereas like, because I was thinking about like, you know, Liban wrote this story. That's what I was thinking about, about how Murray, Jamal Murray and Jokic met each other playing yeah. in like a NBA global. Um, what's it called? Yeah, like the Nike Something. camp. Yeah. 
Nike, whatever, like for prospects. And it's like, that's such a great global story that, that nobody is telling throughout these playoffs. And yet what do Americans like care about that? Like, I get that point. That doesn't matter to Americans that Jokic and Murray met at this camp and before they ever played together, but it does matter to people uh, in other countries. So that's why I'm just like, we kind of have to separate it in terms of like what American media, like what we, what we target American audiences to talk about. And then what we target like a global audience to talk about. And maybe that's the problem is like, there's no distinction and maybe there should be a distinction for sure. But I or, still, yeah. no red sir. No, or we're just doing everything for an American audience, even though there's a lot of people globally listening. And well, that, I think that frustrates them. I still think the global audience is a minority. Yeah. Right? And so I think like they're kind of, and again, this kind of speaks to my overall thesis. Like I think the NBA just doesn't really have a, a it doesn't seem like they have a grasp on who or where they want to be going, like who they want to become and where they want to go as far as like a, an entertainment product uh, in the future. And so that's kind of why I think they're heading for this kind of crisis point. And they'll probably figure it out and it'll probably be fine, but it's like something to be wary about. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's fair. I think to wrap up this point, the question is, can the league keep growing and thriving even if people aren't watching the games on TV. Like right. that's ultimately the question. I tend to think that it can because there are just so many revenue sources with sponsorships and social media. Like there's ways that you can make money through social media and Top Shop was an example. Like I, I tend to just think and ticket prices are going up. And yeah, that sucks for like accessibility, but it makes a lot of money for the league. So I tend to just think the league is is in a good place. I, I disagree with you about the Encore product. I think it's great. Like I actually think it's been it's better than Well let's go let's go through that quickly. Been. Well, let's talk about rule changes, because that okay. relates. Okay. So I mean what's yeah. yeah, what's your problem with the Encore stuff? Okay, well I I think it's like three main things i think the season's too long or four yeah. things i think they've alienated fans like true fans true basketball fans i think the game is the season's too long the games are too boring and um or the games are too long and then the games kind of lack of excitement within the games like and you can see and i'm talking more about the regular season because the playoffs you you see when everybody's bought in like the game, the I I haven't been so into a NBA playoffs in a very long time. Like every series was incredible, the intensity was just so high, and I think a problem I would be interested in studying is like how many blowouts there are in the playoffs because it does seem that like as the the playoffs advance, there's more and more just lopsided games. Like games are kind of out of reach coming into the fourth quarter quite often. Uh, and I think so. I think that's kind of a problem, yeah, which yeah. which is another kind of thing that's where right. like teams are like, oh, we got blown out. Let's just like conserve our guys till the next game. It's we're just better off. Um, I was surprised Miami didn't put Jimmy back in when they were down same. 15 yesterday. Sure. But I think a big part of that is the three point shooting. That's why these games are such blowouts is because that. Yeah, that's just how the thing swings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do agree the season's too long. I think 72 games would solve a lot of problems with like 
guys resting on back-to-backs and stuff like that. It would just eliminate back-to-backs. Um, but I watched more basketball than ever before, and not even for my job, just, just because I thought this season and the playoffs were amazing. I think the parodies helped. I think the play-in tournaments helped. More teams go for it. And I think in terms of the on-court product, it's just so skilled right now. Um, my main problems come with like stoppages in play and, yes. and fouls. That's basically my main one. Too many reviews, challenges, timeouts, too many yes. commercials, too many free throws. Um, so here's a good and a bad. So like Shams reported the NBA is considering giving a technical free throw um, to a team if someone is called for a flop. That's great and all. I mean, that's okay, but they've had they've said this before and just stopped penalizing flopping like a few weeks into the season. So I don't think that's a big enough rule change. I actually think like if you really want to help defenses, because that's what this league is for, like offensive players are flopping. There are more drastic steps you can take to help defenses, and I think that would help the on-court product. I've talked about it before, but like um, hand checking, that might be too much, but I think it's something you got to consider. Or Adam Silver just said he he wasn't going to. KG interviewed him. Fair. Or instead of the three in the key, I want like a five in the key, or like a no rules in the key, like FIBA, like bigs can stay in the key as much as possible, because that would help defenses tremendously. Um, they should definitely get rid of flopping. I just don't know if they'll actually like, I, I don't know if you can just put it on the referees without changing a rule and just be like refs penalize flopping more. Do you, you know, um, well, and then the other rule change. Yeah, go ahead. The, well, the larger picture and problem isn't necessarily the, the rule or lack thereof of the rule. It's that it's the inconsistency of its application. Right. And like yeah. we the, the Van Gundys have been on this crusade for a long time, right? Like the flagrant one is a great example. Like one guy, it's a wind up and to the head, so it's a flagrant. Another guy, it's a wind up to the head, so it's not a flagrant. Like, you know, I we're in an we're in a an era where we want exactness, exact accuracy to like the finest detail because we've seen it through like automation, digitalization, and and. And inevitably, the referees are human error. But I do think that the NBA needs to work on finding ways to homogenize the application of rules Um, and and adding more rules and adding more calls is a risk because, like you're saying, you're just going to start slowing the game down even further. Yeah, I don't even think they need to do that. Honestly, I, I think like. Given what it is, the NBA is such a hard league to officiate. It's so it's getting faster. I think given what it is, they actually do a good job. Like I watched some of the hockey playoffs this year and talk about a league that has no fucking idea how to officiate its product. Like it's actually a joke. The NBA compared to that is great. And we're never going to get robot refs. So I think it's actually fun. What I think the NBA should be focused on is eliminating the player complaining aspect of it because fans only really see the missed call because the player has a fit about it if players just got back on d like they do in the playoffs like if you watch the eastern conference finals guys are getting hacked they're not getting the call but for the most part they know that they just need to get back on defense because well when they don't they're it's they're suffering for it exactly so if the nba found a way to like penalize players more for 
bitching at refs, I actually think that could hurt, help the product a lot. I agree. Th this is the opposite of like the direction we should be going, which is adding a second challenge if the first is successful. Like I'll start off by saying, of course, that makes sense fundamentally. Yes. If you win your challenge, you should get it back. At the same time, I just don't understand why any NBA fan would want to see two challenges times two. Four challenges? You want to see four challenges in a game? We all know how long they take and, and, and how like ambiguous they can be even after being watched. I think this is terrible. I think they should get rid of the, the challenge altogether. I think it, it's only been bad for the NBA because I've said this so many times, but like because... You, you call a challenge and it's still not clear to the fans. Did he, did he, was it a block or was it a charge? It's just giving the refs a second opportunity to view it, but we're still not getting anything clear or consensus. So I hate the challenge. I hate anything that stops the game unnecessarily. Like, like I was watching again, I was watching hockey, this, the Leafs run. And one thing I love about hockey and I don't love a lot about it, but you literally get one to two commercial breaks in a 20 minute period. Totally. That's totally. It's great. They'll have like in-game box stuff, right? Sure. And which I think is much better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like during a stoppage in play, they'll have like a box. But or, it won't or, like, like the world be a Cup short stoppage in, in, in soccer too. Like there's like no commercials. And this is the thing is that like, yeah. Those those games, you it's harder to have commercials because those games are all about this like growing momentum, right? Like, can you imagine the number of commercial timeouts in in football, like so, like soccer? It it would just be insane because the you know the possessions grow like organically and slowly over time. And hockey, to some degree, it's back and forth, but it's like there's like a, a flow. There's no like natural stop to just sort of like timeout like commercials. And the NBA is a, is more herky jerky where there's more natural stops, but so many times the growing, like what we love about a sport is the 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 thrill or the anxiety, the excitement about a close game. Like we want a competitive game. We don't want just want our favorite team to blow out the other team every time. It's just boring, personally. And we get to that point, and then it's like challenge, timeout commercial timeout and it's like and then the last four minutes of the fourth quarter take an hour and it it literally just like disembowels any kind of natural emotion that you build up as a fan and and you're just devoid of entertainment altogether and and few other sports have that yeah um all right i'm about ready to get off this topic and talk okay. a bit about the playoffs if okay. you are yeah Let's do it. Um, I don't think we really are going to have time to talk about the Raptors. We can save that for another show. Maybe That's once fine. they get a coach or something. But NBA playoffs. Let's start in the Western Conference because uh, it's boring. Done. Boring. It's all. There's no storylines. Well, I, I mean, real quick, real quick, I'll say, like, for me, a lot of it surprised me. A lot of the West, because we haven't talked since the playoffs started. Like, I was surprised the Lakers beat the Warriors. That really, like, kudos to the Lakers. They they really had a successful season given where they started. And, like, look, okay, 
Let me know what you think about this theory. LeBron, okay. here's what the Lakers were. Oh, here we go. Back defensive. to the Lakers. AD is your defensive fulcrum. LeBron is essentially like the best role player in the world until like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. He'll start to take over. But LeBron really in those games was just getting off the ball, playing defense, like organizing, but he wasn't a huge part of the offense. So the Lakers basically got to the conference finals with like Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, and Schroeder. D'Angelo Russell, the, the bulk of their offense. So I was like, so is that stuff, is that the way to roster build? It, like, just get that stuff, the guard play for cheap, cycle every year, hot and cold shooters, figure out how to play them, and then really, like, put your main resources into, like, the the defensive fulcrum, obviously, and then, like, the kind of Swiss army knife guy who can, but, like, you know, I just thought it was like a new way of team building that I hadn't seen before. Because yeah, it just... shocked me that they had enough offense to get to the Western Conference Finals. Well, what was interesting is it looked like the Warriors didn't have enough offense. And they it didn't. Was just, they only had Steph. Towards the end, it was just Curry. Yeah, yeah and, and so to me, it, to me, that's the bigger storyline than it was the Lakers. Like, the Lakers had the depth. Like I, I still can't believe Beasley didn't play a minute. Like I guess he really just isn't as good as we all think he is. But um, it, like the Lakers had enough guys to kind of rotate in and out. That if one guy was cold, maybe some other guy was hot. Lonnie yeah. Walker had a game. Rui was hot. Like they, had, I think to me the the principle I've been picking up on because I always like to look at the playoffs to see what success is and how we can, you know, how we can extract principles and apply it mostly to the Raptors. But I mean, in every year it's kind of the same, like, like same thesis, which is that you just at every position, you need a guy who can do something. And it's like, ultimately when it came down to it, the Warriors had guys that literally just couldn't do anything. Like Clay, if Clay's not shooting, he's nothing. Yeah. If yeah. Dre is like Dre can only do so much. He's on the defensive end. And I think for the Lakers, it was like the Den Denver beat the Lakers because they had guys at every position that were better essentially than every Laker at every position yeah. other than, other than LeBron. Right. Yeah. Um, and so Denver's a, a unique case because they just have the best team in the league. I think. Yeah. Top to bottom. Yeah. But they have, but at every position guys can do multiple things. And I, yes. and, and I think that's, What's important, yeah. and and if we look at the Raptors, like to tie it back to the Raptors, that was kind of what Masai was going for. He's 100%. like, let's get guys at every position that can do multiple things. The problem was they couldn't do multiple things at, at an elite level, so like it yeah. just or like it didn't fit together as naturally as as they wanted it to. Well, I think the Nuggets have the best combination in the playoffs of size plus shooting, but like that's kind of why. I thought the Lakers were impressive or, or surprised me. I feel like usually you need to pay a lot for offense. Like usually that's where your resources go is to the guys who can bail you out of situations, make tough shots, whatever. They kind of flipped it on its head and were like these three like shitty guards, like Reeves isn't <laughs> shitty, you know, but like really like, okay, score first guards. We're going to insulate them defensively and we're just going to empower them to like shoot the ball and, and like, put them in good positions and like they literally beat the like yeah the warriors had their issues but they beat the the grizzlies too 
Like yeah. you got to give the Lakers credit. They beat two pretty good teams with like this really shittily put together offensive team. And I was just like, Masai has invested so much into like these do it all wings. And he never, and he, he was just like, you're going to do the scoring. Like you're going to some way through transition, through turnovers, you're going to f- score enough. And it's like, maybe, maybe you actually can just score enough by getting like score first shitty cheap guards and have the wings do all of the other stuff. Um, and maybe they'll have a bit more energy to do that stuff too. I actually think kind of the opposite. I feel like Messiah was like, we're going to be defensive and we're going to like, kind of like the Lakers, like hope to squeeze out offense. And then our defense was absolute dog shit. And, and, and so I never got guards. Like one way guards. You you never got one way players who could just score and not anything else. Gary's probably Gary, sure. Yeah. But I but I think I think you're right. But at the core of it, Anthony Davis played some of the most elite interior or just overall half court defense like we've ever seen for for two two series. And and Memphis had no answer in the post for him. Yeah. Right. And that that was a big thing. Like they played that was the biggest thing. They played two run. teams, Memphis and Warriors, who have no interest. Like Memphis is good in the paint when they have Adams and Jackson and and Clark's Clark, and Clark, 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 um, and the Warriors don't operate in the paint. He's a right? West so, Coast guy, man. Come on. I know my bad, Zags. <laughs> I was just in Spokane actually, um, and so I think it was a little bit of luck too, as far as like who they played, because um, Davis. You know, sure, like, sure. No, I was running the Jokic, and suddenly there. he wasn't the all-time defender that they. I mean, he still was very, very good. But. Sure, but my point still stands that like they did build this team in that way, and it succeeded, and and that did surprise mm-hmm. me because the way LeBron was just getting off the ball and Davis wasn't scoring that much, I was just yeah. shocked that they were able to piece together offense in in a way that usually NBA teams can't. But um, but then they got swept. about the Lakers. Sorry, but then they got swept. Sure, but they got to the Western Conference Finals. Okay, so yeah, that's so did Atlanta. the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> okay, sir. The the West. Anything else you want to say in the, like throughout the Western Conference playoffs? That I think I think it was the best basketball we had. Like the, that Kings Warrior series is like oh, was legendary. You're right. And, you're right. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was I had been a Kings fan all year, so it was fun to watch that. And I, and it's tragic the way they went out. Like they deserved that that series. Um, but also it was so cool to see Curry at his prime, like kind of just hero ball to the win. So that was cool. I think Memphis is too bad that Adams wasn't healthy. I think like they, and everything went on with jaw. Like, I think, I thought that series was, I thought, I think the Lakers lose if Memphis is healthy and all things are normal. So, um, I thought that was too bad. Yeah. No. Yeah. Kings, uh, Kings. Warriors was great. I actually really enjoyed Clippers Phoenix. Like even after Kawhi went out, and it was just rust time. That was Dude, phenomenal. The the oh, that was so beautiful. The way that was beautiful to watch. Yeah, I thought I was I was right about one thing in this playoffs, and that was that like you cannot trade for a superstar, have him play seven games in the Phoenix Suns case, and have no depth and expect to beat a team like Denver. Like I've been a high on Denver all season. I I think they were such a criminally underrated one seed 
and they've just been dominant throughout the whole playoffs and yeah credit to them but like the idea that phoenix was like the favorite to come out of the west to me was always silly KD didn't KD just didn't look right. He didn't have that same like aggression that he typically has. I also think they might be, you know, an anti antithetical to what you were saying with the Lakers because they had a bunch of cheap shooting one way guards and it and it didn't work at all for them. Um right? Like they had Shamit and Ross and Campaign, although Campaign had a good close game. Yeah, but their offense was coming through KD and and Book. Yeah. Like those were the guys fueling their offense. True. All right. That's that's the West. Do you think Denver's going to beat either team that comes out of the 100%. East? There. Okay. The, my, only, my only one concern is if you do turn off the taps to Jamal and or Jokic, like, is it possible that the other guys aren't as hot as they once were? Like, Michael Porter Jr., can't dribble a basketball it's kind of crazy to watch but he is a lethal three-point shooter so it keeps him alive but if those guys cool off like kcp was so hot yeah junior was was like medium you know joker misses a couple of those desperation fadeaway threes like a couple of these games probably go a different direction so like i don't think miami has the personnel to really scheme denver out of what they want to do boston i think does um, and I think that's the only way you can kind of beat them is like force them to rely more on Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Cause I, I don't think they like the Lakers just didn't have enough defensively to force that. Yeah. But I don't know. I actually go in the opposite direction and I, I know that Boston has more good defenders and can throw more different looks at you in terms of like, they can put a smaller guy on Jokic and then have Rob Williams roam off, whatever. But, okay, I agree. You want to talk about shutting off the two-man game of Jokic and Murray? The Heat have the best personnel to do that because you put Jimmy on, on Jamal and Bam on Jokic and, like, tell me a better duo to defend that two-man game than those two. That's yeah. that's why I'm like the Heat actually match up kind of well but, in but that ba- sense. Bam's just too slight against Joker. Like I, I think like the he'll I, I they don't have don't no know. size on that team and I if think your offense AD is going to be Jokic, Jokic is going to back down Bam, no problem. And that's their offense. I don't think that's great offense for the Nuggets. I I think it's just fine if you leave mm-hmm. Jokic one on one on Bam, he's gonna he's gonna go to work. I think, and that can yeah. somewhat be said for Horford, but I but I do think like with Williams off ball. Um. Yeah, they I, they also don't have a lot of size in reserve. I mean, unless you want to pull out Mike Muscala. Yeah, Bam, you're right. Like Bam is not the biggest guy or the strongest guy, but man, he's just such a good defender that I Agreed. just kind of trust him Agreed. to be in the right like places to not let Jokic get like the seal early, like just to fight him for every possession. And Jamal, on the other hand, loves bullying smaller guards. That's like. His bread and butter is he gets into his mid-range, sees a couple fadeaways go down, then he starts hitting threes. And like you put Jimmy on him, there's just no bullying that can be done. Yeah. Or Martin. So I, I love the Jimmy matchup on, on him. I don't think Boston has any any defenders who are as good as Jimmy, who they could throw at um Jamal. And then Well, you probably put Jalen. I think Jalen and Smart uh would be fine. They're both good, Jamal. but they're not Jimmy. They're both good, but they're yeah. not as good Agreed. as Jimmy on, on defense. So 
that's kind of why I'm just like leaning the Heat. Ha- and also the Heat play similar to the Nuggets. They play a lot through BAM, a lot of back cuts, a lot of DHOs. So that's- I just kind of want to see that matchup. I just I just think it would be fascinating and, and competitive. Let's talk about that. Like another problem I have with the entertainment value of the game has been this general direction towards like pick and roll isolation stuff, which is like pretty boring. But suddenly, you know, the two teams that are possibly facing off in the playoffs are the most ball movement, cutting heavy teams. And like that is so good for the sport. And the same with the Warriors, right? Like the Warriors were so exciting. Even the yeah. Lakers to some degree, even though LeBron like the to be the volleyball kings, like a lot of teams that like have passing geniuses as the the core of their offense. Even the like Curry's passing chops are like incredible in, in a lot of those games. So that's been a really good uh, boon for the sport generally. Is this idea of how basketball is, I think really supposed to be played when it's uh, played at an elite level? Yeah, um, but. But to that point, you just mentioned like a lot of teams that move the ball. I feel like there well, is a good amount of them, right? It's like more so, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. That's a whole other I mean, pod. Like teams that don't Phoenix, like, Clippers, Philly, yeah. um, Boston at times. Like a Chicago. lot of times. Like every time they lose, Boston. Yeah. Just this ISO. Yeah. The Raptors. <laughs> the Raptors. Um. I feel like that's a pretty good place to wrap it, bringing it back full circle to the entertainment value of the game. Yeah. Do you have any any last thoughts before we get out of here? No, I spewed it all out. Do you think the Celtics are going to come back? I think it's going to go to a game seven. Yeah. I, I hope the Heat win in seven in Boston. Me that's too. Just, me too. If, if Lowry plays, like, I don't know if he hurt his hand or something. He hurt his groin too. Like, if Lowry's not healthy and Vincent can't play, like, they're in a world of hurt for for ball creation. Yeah, no, it's pretty unfortunate. Um, we'll see if Tyler Hero comes back at some point. He's apparently shooting. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll try to do a couple more of these pods before the playoffs run out. Um, Love to. Yeah, me too. I'm off to a cottage this weekend. And Aiden, any big plans this weekend? No, I might go to a musical tonight. What is it? The Adams Family musical. Oh wow! I know. Fun. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks for all of you listeners slash viewers, and we'll we'll catch you another time. And uh, subscribe, like, all that fun stuff. See you later. Ciao.